Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to, as promised, a second Outside the Box because TV's too freaking good at the moment. You're spoiling us. I know, and we have to crush it all in. I was thinking I might just start with some news because Netflix has suddenly released a glut of information. There's been a couple of series that have been in the wind a bit. A couple of series that it has, it does every time every year and you can guarantee when it's coming out. So, Is this Mindhunter info? Hang on. So let's start with Glow, which series three is back on the 9th of August, which is about the time we expected it. Also, the seventh and final series of Orange is the New Black will be with us on the 26th of July, which again is roughly the time. The ones that have been missing for a bit longer than that, series two of Dark, which is the German time-travelling murder story, (laughs) which has been missing for a while. That is the 21st of June, so that's actually today, I believe. Oh, wow, that is today. Yeah. It's not today, but I'm thinking it will be today when this comes out. So anyway, 21st of June. Stranger Things, which has been missing for a while. Uh, Series 3 will be there on the 4th of July. Independence Day. They're not kids anymore, Hannah. They're not. Mm. To be honest, I probably won't watch more Stranger (gasps) Things, to be honest, because there's too much other stuff on that's actually genuinely really good. I really like Stranger Things. And Mindhunter, as discussed. Mindhunter, we don't have a specific date yet, but we have been told it will be August. That is eight months later than it was supposed to be. Yeah. At least. At least. Anywho, a couple of other things or some other news of things coming up. Russian Doll has been renewed. Oh. Excellent news. Yeah, it is. Well, I don't know how I feel about it because I really like the first series. and I think it could have just sat as a single series. I saw an interview with her and she said it's exactly the same show, just weirder. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'm expecting. I still haven't seen it, but I remember talking about it way back when and you said it was a limited no, um, we didn't know if it was a limited. I oh, guess there'd be a second one because it said season one. Okay. But I thought it would work as a limited and it All could right. end and it had wrapped it up quite nicely. I suppose they always try and wrap up first series quite nicely just in case there isn't a second one. Also, starting this week, it will probably have already started. George Clooney's Catch-22 starts on Channel 4 this week. I don't know how I feel about that. Catch-22 is genuinely one of the greatest books in the English language. Yeah, I don't language. know how Joseph Heller would feel about it being George Clooney's Catch-22. It's not called oh, right. George Clooney's Catch-22. <laughs> that was just how I was trying to be economical with words. Is he in it or does he Yes, he is in it, it but I think he's it. also involved in, okay. in other ways. It is an amazing book. I love it so much. And to be fair to Clooney, the stuff that he's been involved in in other ways before, in particular I would say good night and good luck, have been really, really, really good. He's a really good actor, so his comic stuff's great. In the Coen Brothers things, he's yeah. always really good, so interesting. But from a producing and directing point of view, I think he has quite a good record. And lastly, the second series of The Terror, which is on AMC. AMC, I don't know if you get it. You might not even know if you get it. I don't know what um, it is. AMC is basically the main competitor to HBO. It was responsible for Mad Men. Breaking Bad is AMC, The Walking Dead is AMC. Previously had a negotiation with Sky and everything went directly to Sky, but now they've launched as a standalone channel. You can get it through Sky, you can get it through Now TV, but it's actually linked to whether or not you're a BT customer. So you might know better yourself whether you get it than I could tell you. But I have to say, the terror of the first series, I have only just caught up on because TV's too good at the moment, and it is absolutely incredible. 
Like, genuinely brilliant. So even if you don't watch the second series, if you have it sitting on your skybox or whatever and you were able to watch it, I would do so. It's set in the 1840s. It's based on a book which is actually based on the true story of two ships that left Britain in the 1840s in the hunt for the Northwest Passage disappeared and were never seen again. When I say it's a series, it's a an anthology series, so every series tells a different story. Oh, interesting. So it takes its name from the Terror, which was the name of one of the ships, the Terror and the Erebus, the two ships that went missing. I think you're asking for trouble if you call your ship the Terror. Yeah. Just putting that out there. Well, I think the point was people were supposed to be terrified of it. Not on it, as it were. (laughs) They didn't specify, Hannah, look where it ended them up. And what this is, is an imagining of what happened to them. Uh, They do know some facts about what happened to them because of rescue missions and Inuit oral history and things like that. They have some rough ideas and they found some things in some places. But what this book decides to presuppose is that there was also something else, something supernatural that was following them. It is very much a horror, but... I would say that actually, weirdly, the most horrific stuff in it, the most disgusting stuff in it, is the stuff that's actually from real life. It's hunger, it's cabin fever, it's lead poisoning, it's human stuff that's that's completely brilliant in it. In fact, its most horrific scene is what happens when you combine what what Churchill called the three tenets of the Royal Navy. Do you know what they are? No. You will, because there's a very famous album called it... Blood, Sweat and Tears. No. (laughs) Sorry. You're close. Rum, sodomy, and the lash. So when those three combine in one scene, it is the most horrific thing. Anyway, it's got excellent cast. Yeah, Yeah, just uh, just got a little mental image there. It's got an excellent cast. Jared Harris, Ian Hart, Kieran Hines. But actually, the real standout is Adam Negatis, who is a British actor. You probably have seen him in Chernobyl. He plays... Vasily, the fireman who oh, rots yeah, from the inside out. Which is horrific, but he's very good at showing that. Yeah, he is absolutely brilliant in this. Uh, so catch up on that. The second series is set in a Japanese internment camp in California during the Second World War. You may or may not know anyone who was Japanese, American, was given two options during the Second World War. You go into one of these camps or you join the army. And of course, only certain people could join the army. Obviously, if you were a woman or elderly or a child, then your option was you had to go into the camp. It stars George Takai, who, interestingly, was in a Japanese internment camp as a child. And he's given a couple of interviews about what that was like. So if you're interested in that, hunt one of those out. Also, Ken Burns' The War, which is on Netflix in its entirety, a series about the Second World War, also contains a number of interviews about the camps and also about what happened to the Japanese that signed up. And they had quite the adventure. Ken Burns did the Vietnam one as he well, did, yeah. which is absolutely excellent. So, it really yeah, is. I'm looking forward to oh, that. Oh, have you watched that? Yeah, it's amazing. It's fucking mind-blowing. It's incredible. The episode that's about Vietnam vets against war when they throw their medals back is one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. So good. Anyway, so that's on there. But So we talk about some things that are actually on TV now. Yes, please. Okay. I thought I might start with Ghosts, which actually... We kind of missed it when it was on telly, but it is still on the iPlayer, available to watch, and it is absolutely fucking delightful. And it's just been commissioned for a second series. Hooray. Have you seen Ghosts? I watched part of the first episode sort of a bit half-heartedly, and then started watching Line of Duty again. Okay, it's the team behind Horrible Histories. I love Horrible Histories. I know they're not aimed at me, but they're amazing. With a couple of additions, including Charlotte Ritchie from Fresh Meat called Midwife and Lolly Adafopi 
comedian and most recently in this time with the most recent Alan Partridge. I rang my brother and told him that he should watch this and he said, sell it to me in a sentence. And I said, Simon Farnaby plays the ghost of a Tory MP who died in flagrante and doesn't have any trousers on. <laughs> and my brother was like, yeah, I'm in. And he watched a couple of them and said, oh, this is this is enough. This is the level that my nephew can watch. And he absolutely loved it, too. And I think it's really nice that he grew up watching Horrible Histories and now they're making something that's slightly older for him. They're hanging yeah. on to him. I mean, I love edgy comedy as much, if not more, than the next person. I freaking love a bit of pathos. But I think there is a market for good, silly, all the family can watch. And this hits that like so squarely on the nose. It's so well done. Is it as good as Upstart Crow? It's it's that sort of. I mean, that in that it reminds humor. me of Blackadder. Oh, it's in that tradition. Thing. It it draws from a bit of history. Obviously, it's a selection of ghosts, so they they all have historical and idiosyncrasies, which you know you get and you laugh at. For example, Matthew Bateman is playing a romantic poet. Lawrence Rickard is a caveman. There's someone who was burned as a witch. So it's it kind of the full gamut of history uh, up until the most recent, which is Jim Howick, who is a scoutmaster who is who died when he was shot through the neck with an arrow. And actually his episode, which is about his death day, um, it's actually quite moving in parts. It's, yeah, it's genuinely brilliant. Watch Ghosts if you can. Also, Sophie Thompson turns up in one episode and just, just barnstorms oh, it because... It- she is a genius. Is it the detectress all over again? Yeah, she plays um, a very posh woman with a drink habit, and it's very, very funny. Mix watched Deadwood, so I just want to ask her briefly what you made of Deadwood. I thought it was fucking awesome, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it made me made me do cries. It made me laugh. It was just all of them are impeccable actors. They're so good. There's not a dud note in it. Just a shame we had to wait thirteen years for it. But on that note, I think it is possibly all the richer and more poignant for it. So mm. no, I thought it was it was great, cocksucker. Thanks for asking. I mean, anything that has a poster that, that says, welcome the fuck back, I just, <laughs> I just love it. I actually did watch it again, and I thought Robin Weigart had some seriously just tremendous lines in it. There was a bit where somebody told her she, she had to stop chewing licorice, and she said, that's my tw- 12th least worst habit. Yes, and, that um, is a great one. Um, and it reminded me of um, something that I always say with, like when people ask me if I want a drink, which is something that she says, I think, in the second series when somebody asked her if she wants a drink. And she said, uh, yes, but my opening position is no. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another great one where she just goes, somebody asks her why she's not drinking. And she says, refined spirits will often convulse me. <laughs> she's, she's just tremendous. Oh, she's incredible. Um, should we start with Black Mirror? Yes. Let's start with Black Who's watched Black Mirror? I have watched the Black Mirror. Okay. Uh, I did um I've got to put it out there that I did not watch Bandersnatch yet. Okay. That's but, fair enough. Yeah. Um but I have seen the the mini series, the three that are up on Netflix now. Yeah, it seems I think kind of technically part of the same series, I don't know. As Bandersnatch. As Bandersnatch, but okay. yes, there are only three of them. And there's and, no audience participation. No, and they all are, are mostly clocking about an hour long because there was a period in which some were being made longer and some were like feature length. But they're 
um, three single episodes. Try and do it without spoilers. I think the first stars, the big name is Anthony Mackie. It starts off and it goes somewhere different than you think it might go. But I have to say I wasn't particularly satisfied with where it did go because I think that it left some avenues of, let's just say, men's sexuality online. Yeah, Hannah, I I don't think anyone was satisfied with where that ended up. (laughs) That I think didn't necessarily show a terrible... I think perhaps it, it was slightly kinder on what happens when men question their sexuality online than then maybe they deserve. Yeah, Black Mirror's dystopia became a utopia, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it did. The second one, which stars Andrew Scott, is the one that I think technically I should have liked the most because it's the one that's themed about, I suppose, what we could roughly call justice, which is all my favourite Black Mirror, Mirror episodes are the ones that I would say are about Justice, the national anthem, that's the Rory Kinnear one. Um, <laughs> White Bear, which is the Michael Smiley one. Oh, Shut Up and Dance, which is Alex Lawther and Jerome Flynn. And State of the Nation, which is the one with Kelly MacDonald and Faye Marze, which is, yep, that's yeah, really good. I like those ones. This should kind of fit into that. I don't know, it didn't quite work for me, despite the fact that it's got a massive cast that we're all doing a great job, including, like, Monica Dolan, who I just freaking love. Yeah, I found it a little bit... It's, it's Andrew Scott, and I have to say, I don't always get Andrew Scott. I sometimes think he veers into hammy. Um, and maybe we could just leave it at that. It's constantly overwrought. And the situation, it's understandable that it's constantly overwrought, but you never get to catch your breath, really, because he's just on the screen pretty much all of the time. Yeah. Hmm. The last one, big name, is Miley Cyrus. And I think actually... Hannah's favourite music artist. Uh, I like that one song. I'm standing <laughs> by it. It is, a, as Jim would call it, a banger. The last one feels like a Disney caper. Which and I swears. I would say that in a lot of ways it made me feel like it was a slightly missed opportunity because I think if they'd made it slightly less dark at the top and taken some of the swear words out, this was actually the potential to make a Black Mirror episode for children. Yeah, because it's about it's to do with stuff that affects kids. I liked this one. This one's my, Full on my caper favorite. At the end. Yeah, this is my favorite out of the three. I think because it just seemed to have a slightly different energy. Yeah, I liked it, but yeah, it's too sweary for kids. But did still seem to be aimed at kids. I don't know. It this series didn't really do it for me that much. However, mm. uh, what I will continue to say about Charlie Brooker, that I always say is, you know, in a world where television is all great. You have to be doing something else, I think, to be truly memorable. And Charlie Brooker continues to cast. If you look at the first one, the first the episode with Anthony Mackie has uh, cast is predominantly people of colour. If you look at the one with Andrew Scott, that it has a number of people of colour and a number of women in it. And the Miley Cyrus episode is predominantly female. And, you know, well done, mate, for keep making roles that aren't just for white guys. Here, here. So Killing Eve has started again. I have seen some reviews which suggest it's not quite doing it for people this time round. I haven't watched it, so I'm going to reserve judgment on that. Has anybody else managed to watch Killing Eve? No. Fair enough. I watched the I watched a bit of the first series, and I think I was the only person who wasn't like mega bowled over by it. And also, it's really, really violent, and I can't do that. Jen's delicate soul okay. will not let her watch anything squeamish. 
Okay, shall we move on to The Handmaid's Tale? Oh, I've got thoughts, Hannah. Which is currently airing on Channel 4. I have seen three episodes. I've Mick. seen four episodes, but probably shouldn't have done so. I have seen one more than you. Okay, so there are two... Uh, I think there's been two. There might be three out by the time you listen to this. Um, we've obviously managed to catch up. You tell me what you think, Mick. I don't know why it's there, Hannah. I don't know why we're back in Gilead. I'm just waiting for June, once offered now, of Joseph. Still brilliantly played by Elizabeth Moss. She's still incredible, but she's, I don't know, she's just sort of like an angry womb on legs now. And she's getting away with stuff that doesn't fit in with the narrative of Gilead. And it feels a bit like the writers are floundering as to where to take it. And I can sense they're floundering. But it is still quite beautiful to watch. So I will keep watching it. That's... The, the thing, the second series ending didn't really do it for me. In fact, a lot of the second series didn't really do it for me, except for the fact that it looked freaking beautiful. It's, so, it's like a, a, a renaissance painting, every single scene. But I think the worry is that it started to, to, to realise that's why everybody thinks it's good. And it started to go a bit over-heavy on those things. There's too much slow-mo, there's too many close-ups, there's too many scenes of people staring out of windows thinking. And then there's suddenly a flurry of action... And then it goes really slow again. The pacing is all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think it's become afraid to let characters go and it's hanging on to characters beyond their shelf life. Agreed. I see no reason for Nick ever to be in this again, personally. And I do feel like there's a a line in the end of this where Offred says, off off June Joseph, Joseph says, we're coming for you. And I was like, oh, it's too much. It's just, it's too much. Are they basically reborn as the Spice Girls? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know where it's going. And the truth is, it's still going for a really long time. They've got ten series, I'm wondering if I need to. Fucking hell. Wasn't the book basically done after series one? Yeah, series one was the book and then they've gone... There's some elements that they didn't really include in series one. And so there is the potential to flash back to things... Uh, for example, we don't really know a great deal about her mum, who is a much bigger character in series. We do know the she's in the colonies. In... There was a flash of it in season two. Is, yes. um, is Margaret Atwood still involved? I believe so. She's still producing. I her. believe so. Okay. Um, and of course, if they're going to keep true to it, then Offred ne- needs to be positioned. They're, they either, the end of series 10 has to be where she was at the end of the book, or that happens. Mm. Because where she is at the end of the book, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, is in Maine in a new world. So we've got a long way to go between then and there. Yeah. She's she's <laughs> she's clearly joined the no, resistance but... and she's part of this revolution and there seems to be a, an undercurrent to revolution, of revolution for every single episode that I've seen so far. But she's getting away with too much and part of initiating that sort of change, clearly I've never been in Gilead, but part of initiating that sort of change is judgment as well as movement and it feels like she's just breaking all of the rules and that by its own standards she wouldn't be able to do that like she's hovering in doorways she just strolls up and starts talking to commanders that aren't her commander and other handmaids would get short shrift if they did that yeah elizabeth moss's many named character she's wearing plot armor She's wearing plot armour yeah. under that hat, under a fancy hat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame because I think that it is, you know, 
it's the perfect opportunity in the current climate in America to be making a point. But I think what it fails to grasp is, you know, when I was talking to Stacey Fox from Planned Parenthood, yep. she said, you know, in that interview, oh, we all know what happens when women lose rights. We all watch Call the Midwife, which is literally what she said. Now, what Call the Midwife has the capacity to do is to get people who think that they're watching a period drama and make them care about women's rights and abortion. What The Hammer's Tale has is an audience who already know that it's about women's rights. So you have to be careful that, A, you're not preaching to the converted. We already know this. This is why we watch it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it feels like it's spoon-feeding you stuff, and you're like... Genuinely, if you didn't already care, you wouldn't be sitting here still in series three of The Handmaid's Tale. No, I agree. So, moving on, what I do want to talk about is years and years. BBC (laughs) One, I think its last episode went out at some point this week. I haven't seen it yet because obviously it's not been on the telly and the BBC aren't handing out a preview of it, so... I can't watch it. Last month when I was tweeting about how May was the best month ever in telly, a number of people said to me, oh, and years and years is great as well. But also some people who I know whose opinions I actually respect. And I'm not saying if you you tweeted to me, I don't respect your opinion. But you know what I mean? I don't know you. You could like... Could be having a laugh. You could also be watching Top Gear. I don't know. (laughs) But some people who I know told me to watch it and I have watched it and I have thoughts written on a piece of paper that make me look like a crazy person when I look at it now. Um, Yeah, it's all over the place. Russell T. Davis. Known for his subtlety and light hand with the big issues. Yeah, family drama that actually goes forward in time. We are currently, I think, in that drama in 2026, I think it might be. It starts five years from now, doesn't it? I think it literally starts now and then shoots forward five years almost immediately, doesn't it? That montage yeah. that goes on for a good 20 minutes. I mean, let's just say now it stars probably the best male and female actor that we have in this country at the moment, Emma Thompson and Rory Kinnear. It also has Jessica Hines, who is actually what I will say, regardless of everything I'm about to say now, I think Jessica Hines is actually so good in it. Periodically, she reminds me of Maxine Peake, which is a compliment of epic proportions i think jessica hines is excellent in it however i think it is the biggest waste of talent and a good idea that i've seen on television in a very very long time would you like to hear more i don't know i'm going to point out that when i said that russell t davis was a master of subtlety and renowned for his light touch it was of course sarcasm i mean this is one of the most heavy-handed dramas i've ever seen a couple of years ago i saw robert duvall you know, brilliant actor being interviewed and he was talking about crying. And he said that even sometimes when the script tells him to cry in it, he doesn't cry because he's come to the conclusion by watching other people, you know, over the years and watching other films, that crying in itself is not intrinsically moving. What's moving is watching someone trying not to cry. Mm -hmm. That actually someone wrestling with an emotion is far more emotive than actually just a full-on sob. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, that actually funnily articulates everything that I thought about drama that I hadn't managed to articulate myself until that point. 
So bear in mind, that's where I'm coming from. Russell T. Davis basically shits on that idea. And everything is always up, right. Emotions are right up there on the surface. It also stars Russell Tovey, who we all know, I believe, just cries on TV. So I was braced for this. But that's not even the worst fault that this thing has. And I've been trying to work out what I think the worst fault that this has. And I think it's that it is actually really hypocritical. It's what I believe the, you know, if Donald Trump or Piers Morgan were watching this, they'd say it's like, you know, woke or PC or whatever word they use. And it undoubtedly is. It contains four children from one family. Two of them are gay. One of them is in a wheelchair. And the other one is married to a person of colour. So we've got all the boxes ticked there in a BBC-style, you know, way. However, what it actually does later is not bother to go, to, to go into any depth about what these people's lives might actually entail. We're talking about moving forward in a future where things are getting very dystopian, very scary, very unpleasant, and yet there is nothing about disabled rights in it. Nothing. Nothing about how hard her life is. Nothing about women's rights in it. Absolutely nothing. We're talking about how racism rises, and yet the people of colour in it face no racism whatsoever, when undoubtedly they would. In fact, the female characters in it are very angry. And guess who's the angriest? Yeah, angry black woman. But it depicts the rise of a politician who is, you know, you could say a cipher for Nigel Farage, Donald Trump, populism. Except she's played by Emma Thompson very, very well by Emma Thompson. However, there is no indication at all that there would be a difference between what's happened to Donald Trump and what's happened, what would happen to a woman in that position. There's no acknowledgement that that would be different. It flies through facts like a bomb's dropped. um, A nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb. The polar ice caps have melted. And nobody, you never see the impacts of those things. It literally has news reports. There's There's a scene in it where they're talking about how difficult it is to get hold of epilepsy medication and they're saying because of course our daughter's epileptic because of course she is because this family has every single itineration of everything ever but do we ever show what happens to people when they can't get medicine because of epilepsy no we move on to the next thing Mm -hmm. it spends almost all its time on one particular plot which is about refugees and a character that falls in love a gay man who falls in love with a refugee i'm all for gay romances on television don't mistake me but ultimately at some point in this, yeah, fuck it, we'll do spoilers with this. You are expected to mourn the death of a white man while he is surrounded by bodies of people of colour and you are expected to feel for him. There's points at which you're expected to feel for someone who's worked for a bank, who's lost everything. On top of all of that, It's got some of the most unforgivably poor dialogue I think I've ever come across because in order for you to be aware of what's happened in the changing world, it's had to literally be inserted as exposition in the way people speak. So, for example, there's a news report in which someone says, and like Australia, every British citizen now has to vote. I mean, I'm pretty sure people would be aware of that before the day of the election and you know this would have been but worst of all is when Rory Kinnear has to break the death of someone to his siblings in it and he said 
they tried all the antibiotics, but they don't work anymore, do they? <laughs> there is a lot of tell rather than show. Yeah. Mm. Roy Kinnear, greatest actor we've got having to deliver bullshit lines like that. This feels like... There's points in it where they say, oh, do you remember when you used to watch the news and it didn't scare you? There's a point in which Anne Reid's character says... <laughs> Jen's going, no, no I well, don't exactly, remember that. Because right. this is supposed to be 2023 yeah. or something. People have been saying that since, God, at least I'd say 2015. I can't remember since ever. The news is scary. fundamentally scary because humans are scary. <laughs> there's a scene in which Reid's character says, do you remember when the bomb went, to- went off and nobody ever talks about it anymore? I mean, she might as well say... People are thick, aren't they? That's what this drama is it's saying. It's almost like they've you. made her say a line that sums up the flaws in the whole thing. Yeah. I'm disappointed when I say people think it's it's excellent because, like I say, the dialogue is on the nose. It's a, such a squandering of a great cast. And like I say, added on top of that, Jessica Hines is absolutely tremendous in it. G- genuinely tremendous. If you look at her, like, say from something like W1A she's almost unrecognisable and that is the the dream for an for an actor isn't it mm. yeah she's yeah she is so good in it watch a film it's very good oh yeah the fight mm. so Mick your thoughts <laughs> well we have chatted before so some of my thoughts are mixed up in in your thoughts and yeah it's just very heavy handed and there's a lot of hyperbole which I'm going to pronounce that way mm. can't stop me and it's it's entertaining. I can see why people watch it because it sort of flies by and it, it's, it seems like it's very topical and seems like it's very scary because they're just things that he's portraying are just sort of out of reach. You can imagine that there'll be a time where Snapchat filters are in real life and you could wear them. So your kid at the breakfast table looks like a cartoon dog and is refusing to speak to you without the silly voice. I can see that happening. And so there's all these hooks that get people in. And so it just feels like a real waste of a chance to say something. So, yeah, I don't really have very much more to add to your rant. I mean, it's an excellent idea. I just wish that somebody else had had it. So, anybody else seen anything else that uh, they want to talk about? I have seen most of season three of Jessica Jones on Netflix. I'm a big Jessica Jones fan. It is part of the Marvel library that netflix have had this will be the final series because as we know disney is starting their own streaming channel and they are taking all of the superheroes with them or certainly all of the marvel ones the first series of jessica jones is incredible and i've watched it three times and it has a lot to say in a very engaging way while still being entertaining about coercive control and about domestic violence and i've made it sound not very fun but it's also it's really fun it's a real rollicking ride jessica jones herself the character played beautifully by Kristen ritter is just a joy to watch she is she's just a disaster hurling herself from one crazy scene to the next not really in tune with her powers the second series went off the rails a little bit because it didn't seem to have anything it, it wanted to say it was just more of a a feast for the eyes. It was still really, really watchable. And I think the third season is, is struggling from a similar thing. She is still eminently watchable. I love her. Carrie Ann Moss is playing a blinder as Jerry Hogarth, a very, not very nice woman. And like really playing into that. And all of the actors in it are really, really good. But it is focusing on what it means to be a hero. And I'm getting to the stage that if the character Trish says the words hero or pouts that she's not being recognised as one one more time 
then it might put me off watching the last two episodes because it's just felt a little bit heavy-handed on that front. Still, I'm enjoying watching Jessica and I am a bit sad it's the last one because I think I'd watch Kristen Ritter in anything. She's cracking. Also, lots of great female characters, loads of women doing amazing things on screen and I'm all for that. Jen? Very quickly, I have started watching When They See Us. I think it's all right, but I'm not, like, overwhelmed by it. When They See Us is a dramatisation of the court case of the Central Park Five. Yes. yes. Which I did not know anything about prior to watching it, so it's quite interesting for me, um, because this is all pretty much brand new information. This is Netflix. It's Netflix, and it's directed and written by, I think, but certainly directed by Ava Devani. Duvernay. Duvernay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, pedigree and all that. I've also started watching Sunderland Till I Die, which is a documentary about Sunderland football team. It's quite interesting if you like that kind of thing. You two do not. But there is a bit more to it than football. It's also about, like, the town, or rather, is it a city? City. The city of Sunderland, which is quite interesting at the moment for a variety of reasons. What's it on? It's on Netflix as well. Okay. And also, I don't think I talked about this before. I did watch it a while ago now, but again, football, sorry. But very, very interesting. Also on Netflix, um, a documentary about John and Justin Fashnu, which sounds like it is a late-night Channel 5 film. It's called Forbidden Games. Don't be put off by that. It is fucking incredible. Watch it. You talking about Ava DuVernay reminds me that actually the third episode of The Handmaid's Tale is, is directed by Amma Asante. Excellent British film director. Okay, we'll be back next week with, well, next month with hopefully some of the stuff that I listed at the start. Hooray! Hooray! Hooray for television! Everybody watch The Terror. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box.